Hello and welcome to the Fan Checkdown. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you for the next hour. And boy, do we have lots to talk about. We were off yesterday. The biggest question that we have right now is, Donovan, have you figured out the headphone situation? <laughs> Man, <laughs> the toughest part of this show is finding headphones in this studio There's that a, work. There's plenty of them. Um, but whether they work or not is a question on each different day. I feel like I'm playing the New England Patriots and someone is tampering with uh, <laughs> sideline communication. <laughs> are we in Foxborough by any chance? Evidently, we are. Uh, there's a lot uh, lot going on, and, and we'll, we'll kind of run down what we're going to go through today. Uh, the first thing that we will start with, and we will get to in a second before we run everything down, but TJ Hawkinson, a monster, monster deal. We'll deal with the uh, fallout from the Jonathan Trailer, Taylor trade saga because... That was interesting. Uh, Mike Tomlin had some comments about the preseason, which I think we might be able to sink our teeth into. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo sounds off on what's going on in San Francisco. Just shut up, Jimmy. Play the game. Uh, we'll also uh, play a clip from uh, Travis Kelsey and Jason Kelsey's podcast with Julian Edelman because it's just so good. Uh, we tried to do a Bill Belichick impression the last time we were here. We both fell flat on our face. Uh, Julian Edelman does a much better one. How about that? <laughs> it's outstanding. Yeah, it's very good. And, uh, of course, the AFC West preview, if you missed the ones that we've done, uh, we did the AFC East on Monday. We did the AFC North on Tuesday. We will struggle to get through the AFC South tomorrow. Um, that'll be a quick one. And, uh, of course, the AFC West today. All right, the news of the day, Donovan. TJ Hawkinson signs a monster four-year extension worth $68.5 million, $42.5 million guaranteed, and an average value of $17.125. Both are NFL historic highs for a tight end, to which Donovan Bennett says what? I'm so fascinated that they're spending this money at this position. To me, it is a signal on where the game is going a couple ways one if you're a running back and you get that push alert how <laughs> mad are you jonathan taylor's out here with people saying hey just take maybe the franchise tag number maybe a little bit more with some incentives just get back and play on a one-year deal on a prove it deal Tight ends out here, young tight ends, are getting real money. And this number could have been pushed up higher if Travis Kelsey cared to. Yeah. But he didn't. You remember the time in NFL football where Jimmy Graham was making the case, we're no longer tight ends. We're receivers. We should be on the receiver scale. We should be paid as such. Hawkinson is kind of proving that point with this deal. I'm interested in your outlook because... Now we have two different types of tight ends. When you, when you actually look at who plays, not who you can slot in the TE spot on fantasy. We have traditional wise, inline blocker, someone who lines up with their hand in the dirt, a three-point stance, is part of the run game, but also can run routes. George Kittle being the best. And we have guys who are X's. Dalton who are Kincaid. Who are Dalton Kincaid, Travis Kelsey, who essentially is playing receiver, with a tight end number, even though tight end numbers don't exist because anyone can pick any number <laughs> oh, now, which don't I don't even get me started. I on that. hate. Yes. Hawkinson started as one coming out of school in Detroit. Minnesota used him as essentially a receiver, and now he's making receiver money. And so I'm interested to see what happens moving forward at the position given this amount of money. Well, what's going to happen, I think, is you're going to see more guys that kind of specialize coming out of school. 
I think that's what's going to happen. The college ranks are going to adjust to that. Um, what we saw last year from TJ Hawkinson was he had a better yards per game when he was used in Detroit. His yards per reception went down going from Detroit to Minnesota, which is surprising because his reception numbers went up like crazy. Uh, he averaged six receptions a game with the Minnesota Vikings and 3.7 with the Detroit Lions. So they used him in the shorter. They used him like a big slot. That's what they did. I know that sounds really dirty. Uh, they used him as a big slot. And that's what I think we're going to see more of from that position. You're going to see guys that get split out wide. You're going to see guys that, you know, they look like they're going to be inline blockers, but they are not used that way as my sunglasses fall over my face. I don't know why I need them. So I, I think the position and the usage of 12 personnel among NFL teams is going to change because what is the biggest thing that we talk about with the NFL right now? It's protecting your quarterback. So if you can have a tight end who can also pseudo block to go along with two pretty good wide receivers, and then you have your inline tight end that's actually blocking, well, that puts you in a much better situation to protect your quarterback, which is why also all these teams are investing in offensive line. The running back position is not that anymore. But I, I like that you brought up about the wide receiver money because that is essentially what TJ Hawkinson got was wide receiver money. And they have just become, the tight end position has just become such a focal point for the offense because if you have a big athletic one that can really move around and has really good hands, the mismatches that you can create, forget, forget on, on, you know, small nickel corners. How about on smaller coverage linebackers? Because that's another thing, Donovan, that we don't talk about as much anymore in football is that linebackers in the game today are uh, for the most part, or maybe not so much for the most part, but it's kind of turning that way is that they're becoming smaller and more athletic because they need to guard these tight ends because they're so much more athletic. Like look at, look at what Iowa has put out in the last 15 years at the tight end position. We're talking about uh, Dallas Clark, George Kittle, Noah Fant, Sam Laporta, who just got drafted to Detroit, the replacement for TJ Hawkinson. And there's another one coming in Luke Lachey. All athletic guys who are mismatches for the middle of the field. That's where I think this game is going. And it feels like if you don't have one of those, you're falling behind a little bit. You are. And football is somewhat cyclical and it's somewhat cat and mouse. And... We've seen a trend defensively where sub packages are now base packages. Yes. How many defenses, their base is two linebackers on the field. Mm -hmm. That nickel corner, essentially, that slot corner being, to your point, a starter. So, and that was to combat against what? Five wide being the base. Mm -hmm. And so now we're seeing offenses, okay, we're going to take you into the post, play a little bully ball. We are going to have a mismatch in the slot, and not even in the slot. We're going to move our tight end around. Yeah, play him out wide. Play him out wide. Maybe he's going to be out wide on the short side of the field. And so runs routes like a receiver. Do you want your 5'10", 5'11", corner, one-on-one -on -one against our tight end? Are you going to commit a safety over the top? And now you're using two people defensively, two of your best cover people on our tight end, mm -hmm. and you're not even 
talking about what we're doing with our number one receiver, our number two receiver. And so that's why we are starting to see more tight ends go in the first round of the draft because they have become the ideal chess piece and you're no longer you playing checkers where, you know, they're a knight. We can do so many different things with them that put you in a bind defensively. So the other thing, like, and you mentioned that playing the, the tight ends out wide is how often did you used to see tight end screens? Almost never, right? Now, when you've got all these guys who are so good after the catch, that's become the norm in NFL offenses. So when you, you talked about all the tight ends being drafted, so Dalton Kincaid goes in the first round, then there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight tight ends drafted in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. And of those, you know how many of them actually had, actually Green Bay drafted two tight ends in this draft. Tucker Craft going in the third round, and they drafted Luke Musgrave in the second round. This is where I don't like to give Bill Belichick a lot of credit for a lot of things, but he was way ahead of the game on this because now everybody's looking at it going, okay, hold on a second. Like we can create something here. And the biggest key to all of this when they're drafting these tight ends, because for the most part, a lot of these guys are really good athletes. They're adding speed on the field. It's not this big lumbering guy that can't get down the field that doesn't move very well, but Hey, he's a great blocker. Not anymore. The game has completely changed, and I'm really interested to see where things go here. Another place that I'm very interested to where see where things go is the Indianapolis Colts. So there were rumors. Remember when we talked about the mystery team? Well, it turns out there actually was a mystery team, and it was the most shocking of all, the Green Bay Packers. Was there? Keep going. Keep going. No, no. There, no, continue. Because there, there, there could be, but there couldn't be. Because we, what's the term that we heard? The Green Bay Packers had what? Had interest. We're not talking about money in the bank. We're talking about interest. But it sounded like they were willing to meet the contract demands. Well, the contract demands are one thing, but the contract demands are relative to what you're willing to give up well, in return. I mean, this is Green Bay who, who already asked a running back this offseason to take less money. Yes. And Aaron Jones. They've got two running backs. The other one on a, on a rookie deal who, who's going to come up. So maybe you're thinking moving forward, we, we may have to do something at the position. But... You often will hear an agent will will give a call. Hey, the client's a little unhappy. You know, I you know, if if so and so were were to call, would you guys be interested? Well, yeah, we'd be interested, but that doesn't mean you're willing to give up the pick capital that we know the Colts irrationally want in return. So interest. Jonathan Taylor is a great player. He's twenty six years old. Should be interested. Everyone should be interested, but what does that actually mean in terms of getting a deal done? Because if they were close, is Taylor on PUP right now? I don't think he is. Yeah, he is. No, I know oh, he but, is. Oh, you mean if, but yeah, if, if no, they I know what you're saying. If they actually close yeah. to consummating a deal, yeah. I don't think you you essentially say, well, there, I mean, he could still theoretically be traded while being on PUP, but you know what he can't do for that team that acquires him is play. Yeah. So now you've distressed the value of the asset and you've hurt your own leverage in those talks. I don't think it was close because... One, he's on PUP, and two, because I don't think anyone is going to be close to giving the Colts what they 
determine they need in return. Well, if the return is what we are reportedly hearing in Jalen Waddle, yeah. then I'm sorry. No, that deal is not going to happen. And here's a here's a quote from um, – so James Boyd from The Athletic asked Chris Ballard uh, this this question, and it's based on the premise of – that Chris Ballard keeps saying that you pay great players. So the question was, then why didn't you pay him? To which Ballard's response was, we won four games last year. We won four games. Uh not for anything, but now you're going to blame your lack of winning on your running back when, as we look at the track record of Chris Ballard bringing in quarterbacks, you know, the most important position in sports, he inherited Andrew Luck, and these are the other quarterbacks that have been on the roster that have played games. Jacoby Brissett, fine, but he's not a starter. Brian Hoyer, Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger, and Nick Foles. I rest my case, Your Honor. Chris, a uh, question for the back of the room. Yes, sir. Donovan Bennett, uh, Sportsnet Radio Network, uh, check down. You won four games. Yes. Who who drafted the players on the team? Next question. Who's, who signed the players on the team? Next question. Who was the best player on the team? Next question. Chris, you won four games. You won't have uh, Jonathan Taylor for uh, the foreseeable future your third leading rusher on the roster now that you've put together your 53-man roster, career rushing, is Gardner Minshew. Mm-hmm. Chris, how many games do you think you're going to win without Jonathan Taylor? Well, let me tell you something, Donovan. I think that we've reached out to Marshall Falk, the guy that we gave away <laughs> for a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick. And I think, you know, when you talk about great players and paying great players, I would pay Marshall Falk. Yeah. <laughs> it's a disaster. And... Here's the other thing. We talk, we're going to be saying, I feel like we're going to be saying this a lot on this show um, because in the NFL, you get so used to it in other sports where people actually do just shut up. It's just like, just shut up. Because the more you talk, the more you dig that hole. And the thing that gets me about not only ownership and when they talk, because Jim Ursay is now like creeping up to Jerry Jones level of annoying right mm-hmm. now. Like he's getting there. If he's not there already. But even Chris Ballard saying this stuff, like, why didn't you pay him? You know, why don't you pay him? You know, he's a great player. Oh, we won four games last year. Keep adding to that fact and that price tag that you keep coming up with is going down. You're not getting a first round pick anymore. Cause that kind of leads me to my next point is how distressed is this asset? Like in order for them to get anywhere near what they want, Jonathan Taylor not only has to play, which he's not going to do for the first four weeks and he can't practice. You also have to deal him if you're going to by week eight, which is the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. What is Jonathan Taylor's value at that point? Like, is the only way you get anywhere near that value if somebody gets hurt? Because I can't imagine that Green Bay or Miami go back to the table and go, you know what, we're willing to meet your demands. No chance. It's a great point, which lets you further know, this has nothing to do about value, about projection, about the, the market. This has everything to do with ego. This is all about pride right now. And the Colts, after Jimmer say talking so tough about the fact that the league will move on with or without Jonathan Taylor, and he thought he could smooth things over by meeting with him in his trailer, and that didn't go well, and immediately Jonathan Taylor wanted out. This is about ego because here's the thing. The analytics community has somewhat taken this over and really showed us that running backs aren't actually that valuable. And and so you're applying that logic, which I suppose I, I, I get, except... This running back to you 
is that valuable? With a rookie quarterback, too. With a rookie quarterback, which the only thing that should be the goal this year is finding a way to make sure that quarterback is successful or finding out if that quarterback can be successful. This is Jonathan, Jonathan Taylor's on-off-field impact on the offense. When he's on the field, their QBR is 58. Not great. When he's off the field, 43. Terrible. Yards per attempt, 7.5. When he's off the field, 6.4. Yards per rush, something that he impacts, 5. When he's off the field, 3. He is a difference maker. You can say the position is not that valuable. This player at this position, when healthy, is valuable. And the issue is, and this is why I think it's about pride, you have the money. Yes. You have the money. You have a QB on a rookie deal, and there are only six teams this year who have more cap space than the Colts. There are only five teams next year who have more cap space than the Colts. You could do this. You're just choosing not to. Yeah, it's it's really it's really ridiculous. And speaking of, you know, that quarterback, talk about putting a little bit on his plate. He's just named one of the ca- seven captains for the Indianapolis Colts. I'm not saying that, like, I'm sure Anthony Richardson is a wonderful guy. Not sure that that's the kind of burden you want to put on this guy already. To the fact that he doesn't have a running back that, uh, of, I mean, at this moment, for the first four weeks, his starting running back is Deion Jackson and Mixon Evan Hall. Like, that's that's it. There's there's nothing there. So I'm... I worry about Anthony Richardson, not only keeping him upright, but having any sort of success in the first four weeks. Uh, So for fantasy purposes, don't play Anthony Richardson the first four weeks of the season. Uh, Just a disclaimer. Uh, Speaking of the the preseason and kind of getting things ready, Mike Tomlin, and this was from a a little bit ago, but I think it's worth a conversation as we prepare for the start of the regular season. So here's Mike Tomlin on playing starters in the preseason. I just think philosophically, I'm... I lean toward playing just in general. Um, I know there are different approaches to the preseason, and I respect uh, the approaches and opinions of others, but that's kind of always been in my comfort zone. If we're going to box, we have to spar. Uh, If we need to get ready for the regular season, then preseason is an avenue in which to do it uh, for individuals and collectives. The key line there, if you're going to box, you have to spar. Love it. And and honestly, every time I watch Mike Tomlin speak, I love him even more. I love Mike Tomlin. I just think Mike Tomlin is the straightest of shooters, and he tells you what's on his mind. I kind of go different ways with this. Okay. One of them is I want my guys to be as healthy as possible. And for guys that have been in the league for three, four, five years and, and longer, maybe they don't need it as much but we've also seen teams who don't play their starters or play them very very little really struggle out of the gate and specifically on offense that's the one thing like I remember wasn't last year maybe it was the year I can't remember but there was one year that Matthew Stafford really struggled out of the gate and he didn't play a snap in the preseason and I'm going like you got to play at least a drive or you got to play two drives. So I, I get what Mike Tomlin is saying because like in anything, in any sport, the best way to recreate anything in a game situation is playing a game. It's not practicing in a game situation. It's not these controlled scrimmages. It's playing in a game. And Mike Tomlin went on to talk about at different points about, you know, 
when you're in the stadium, it's different than when you're and, and granted there's less people in the stands, but when you're in the stadium, it's a different feeling. It's a different vibe. Everything is different than being on the practice field and having 11 on 11 scrimmages or seven on seven scrimmages. So I'm glad that Mike Tomlin brought that up because I'm curious to see for a team like the Steelers, how they come out of the gate. Granted, Kenny Pickett in his second year and, you know, he was going to play a lot anyway, it felt like. But what are the, like, the Dallas Cowboys going to look like? Because did Dak play a snap in the preseason? I don't think he did. So just as as two comparables, like, what? Do, how sharp do the Steelers look as opposed to the Cowboys in a situation like this? Where do you lie with the whole conversation about playing your guys in the preseason? Well, let's use the Cincinnati Bengals as an example. Yeah. Zach Taylor is from the McVay coaching tree. The trend of not playing anyone in the preseason has somewhat come from the McVay coaching tree. We see it in Green Bay now. We see it in Cincinnati now. Now, granted, Joe Burrow now has had two training camps where he was hurt, and that's why he didn't play. But that's been the case for the high-profile starters in Cincinnati, and they got off to a slow start yeah. last season. And maybe... And that offensive line, especially with a new offensive line, really struggled. Which puts your quarterback's health at risk when it really matters. And maybe if they get off to a bit of a quicker start, they're hosting the AFC Championship game a year ago rather than going to Kansas City. Now, there's also many circumstances in terms sure. of a game not being finished as to how things shook out, but those games mean a lot. Mike Tomlin, you know, stressing time on task is so important because when you look at the landscape of football, because of the rules in the CBA, because of the way that OTAs are now structured, because of the way that you have so many more bodies and there aren't multiple cutdown dates, you essentially go from 90 to 53 overnight. Your high-level players are generally getting less reps, getting less full-speed reps, and really, because it's mandated, less contact reps yeah. in practice. So in order to do that, there's two ways. You do it in preseason with the games, and or you do what we've started to see a rise in, controlled scrimmages. Team-on-team team scrimmages, which sound nice. Listen, we're going to script the plays. We're going to get the exact work They all end up in need. fights anyway. They all end up in <laughs> fights, which is putting people at risk physically for exactly. me. And you got to travel. It's not ideal. You're doing these uh, controlled scrimmages at a community college or high school field. Where do you meet? Where where, where do you do install or do you set up? It's not the same as doing it in an NFL environment in a preseason game. So I, I get it. You... If, if my starter is going to get hurt, let it be when he's being Playing. paid yeah. in real life bullets. But I think if you want to get out the gate and play good football, you got to have those preseason games. What we've seen over the last couple of years to start is bad football. We saw the preseason in the regular season, mm -hmm. and I think we might see the trend go in the opposite direction. I hope so. Uh, although there's bad football is still good football to me because it's football. Yeah, it's fair enough. It's right, like and and. It makes for really wild fantasy scores in the first two weeks because everything is all over the place. Um, so I do wonder if we do see that change. I do wonder. And, and the other thing, too, that, you know, thank God they went to three preseason games instead of four. Like, four was an absolute grind. And that's even more of an excuse to get your guys in because there's just less time to prepare. Uh, I also like the point that you made about less contact reps. That's something that doesn't get talked about a lot. And that is 
that's a big factor, not only for guys on defense, because that's the other part. Like we talk about how sloppy things are on offense, but how many times have you seen guys that miss routine tackles in the first two weeks of the season because they just have no reps because they can't tackle anybody in practice, basically. Um, you certainly can't hit your star players. So who are you hitting? You're hitting the guys trying to make the team? Like, it's a lot for defenses, too. But it, like anything in life, you have to taper up to it. And so if you go from on air, wearing shorts, skeleton essentially in practice, to regular season full speed hitting... That's how guys get hurt. Sure. So if you just said, I'm a 5K runner, tomorrow I'm going to run a marathon, you're going to get hurt. But you got to slowly taper up in, in terms of the physicality in football. You have to essentially build that muscle, build you know the callus as well, and, and that's what preseason football is for. And, I mean, part of the reason why he can stand on it because his team played really well in the preseason, specifically his first team offense, can you pick it? Five drives. Five touchdowns. Doesn't get any better than that. Uh, let's move on to Jimmy Garoppolo. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the Raiders specifically uh, as we do our AFC West preview. But I wanted to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo and the comments made about the San Francisco 49ers. Now, his comment to reporters was uh, on the Trey Lance situation, uh, a lot of weird situations over there. And you could talk about how he left the organization you can talk about the situation with Trey Lance, how they maybe handle injuries. There's a lot there. But why now? Like, what, what is the benefit here for Jimmy Garoppolo to say anything on it? You know, all he needs to say is, I wish Trey Lance the best. I'm glad he got another shot in Dallas, um, which, he, which he did say, but he had to throw that dagger in there. And you know he was referring to... Um, not only other situations, but his own situation. Let's not forget, they drafted Trey Lance while he was still on the roster. Trey Lance was the starter, breaks his leg. Jimmy Garoppolo comes in. Jimmy Garoppolo saves the year. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, as usually does, gets hurt, and they move on. Why does Jimmy Garoppolo feel the need to take this shot and not just handle it differently? Because it's not like Jimmy Garoppolo is coming into this season and he's like the star anymore. Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm not going to ruin my take on it. We're going to wait for that one. But Jimmy Garoppolo, in my opinion, needs to just look at the situation, say, I wish Trey Lance the best of luck. He's this, he's that, he's a wonderful guy, and move on. Because he was asked. That's why. I'm on the other side of this. I think Jimmy Garoppolo was being very intentional with his language. Maybe he's been playing words with friends. Maybe he has the screensaver <laughs> on his computer, which is, gives you a new word every day. For you to learn. But I need, I, wait, 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 wait. What is that? I need that. You don't, you don't know about this? No. So you can... On your phone? No, no, on your computer. You probably can do it for your phone, but you can get a screensaver where when you log on to your computer every day, there's a new word, a definition. So it like slowly expands your vocabulary. I like this. That means I don't have to read. This is good stuff. I, I don't know if that's what it means, <laughs> but sure. But if I look up the definition of the word weird, of strange or extraordinary character, odd. I think what happened in San Francisco is strange. It was odd. We've never seen it before. Let's just go back in history. They trade for Jimmy Garoppolo from New England after he was essentially blocked uh, from playing or, or at sometimes even rehabbing by Tom Brady, depending on if you believe uh, Seth Wickersham's reporting. Goes to the Niners. They're on fire as soon as he gets there. They give him a new contract. They make a run to a Super Bowl. He is a 
post route away from winning a Super Bowl and beating Patrick Mahomes in it. They like him until they don't. He has some injury issues. They trade all this type of capital to draft Trey Lance, assuming he's going to be the heir apparent. He struggles with injury himself. Then they decide we just need to rip the Band-Aid off and go with Trey Lance, give him the team. They're trying to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. They're having him do exercises and drills by himself. He's not even a member of the team until Trey Lance gets hurt. Then they bring him back out of layaway, and you're the starter once again, and they go back to the playoffs only for him to get hurt and then to move on to Mr. Irrelevant, who they had no plans for, and Brock Purdy. And they have since shipped Trey Lance after he had a competition in the preseason, which really wasn't a competition because most people thought Sam Darnold was getting that job and they weren't going to really carry more than three QBs. And in fact, Trey Lance looked like the fourth in the preseason. We've never seen any of that in the National Football League in the modern era where you trade for one guy, give him a contract, give capital away to draft another guy, essentially at different times, both give them the franchise and alienate them, and then you've basically parted ways with both of them with not much to show for it. That is weird how they've handled their QB room. Is it not? I I think I agree with the sentiment. I just think that Jimmy has a lot more that he needs to focus on than worrying about what's going on with the San Francisco 49ers. But is he worried or did he answer the question honestly? Like, I'm never going to be the person who's mad at an athlete for telling us the truth or how they really feel because what I don't love is when... Essentially, they speak like hockey players. Oh, yeah, that's And say the same thing over and over again, which is really nothing. So I'm not mad at Jimmy because I think he's telling us what we really already know. And he was asked the question. It's one thing if he went on IG Live and just went off out of nowhere. But he was asked a very simple question. And he ended it with, I believe, like... I'll I'll leave it at that. Like he clearly could have gone in more, but you know, it just kind of felt like we all, like you said, we all know it just feels like piling on at this point. Like we get it. It's a disaster there with how they've handled things. Like, I don't know. I don't think I needed Jimmy Garoppolo to tell me what was going on there, but I took it more as caping for Trey Lance. Sure. Than bashing the Niners. I think it was him basically pointing out. This was an extraordinary situation that, Literally, most players would not have been able to function in. And I'm glad he's out of that extraordinary situation. Well, I don't... Yeah, I I agree. I mean, he did go to the Raiders, so... There's another extraordinary situation. It's true. And I'm going to give you my Jimmy Garoppolo hot take in the next break. I can't wait. In the next block. How about that? I can't wait. All right, AFC West preview and... And Julian Edelman's better Bill Belichick impression than the one that we have. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett. This is the Fan Checkdown on the Sportsnet Radio Network. We'll be back in a few. Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Horfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. It's the fan check down. Matt Marchese, Donovan Bennett with you. Mm, 18 minutes left, I think. Something like that. Math, not the strong suit when I'm trying to calculate time. But off we go. So, as we mentioned, we, needed to, we almost needed to take a day off after those Bill Belichick impressions because they were so bad that the bosses were like, listen, guys, you can't do that. It's so horrible. Like, please, just take the day. Think about what you've done. We were in timeout. No, I'm kidding. 
Tuesday was cut day. We were cut off. <laughs> we were almost. Yeah. You guys need to go down to PR for yeah. 24 hours. See yeah. if you clear waivers. Go down to the squad. See if anybody wants you. Um, but what we did find in that time was somebody that did a much better Bill Belichick impression than us. Now, there's a bigger story in this clip, but let's hear from, from Julian Edelman. He was on the New Heights podcast with the Kelsey brothers, Travis and Jason. We're just waiting to queue it up here. Every team in the entire league has red gloves every time they play us, man. Damn it. Red jerseys. Hey. It's harder to see the hold. Do you think that's a strategy? 1,000%? You're telling me I need to be wearing gloves of the team I'm playing. 100. What? They can't see it. They can't see the pull. Why have I never thought about this? I got a holding call once. They were wearing white jerseys, and I always wore red gloves, all reds. And I got like a holding. You see? Red gloves over here. <laughs> me and Ernie can see that from the press box. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying this to you in the break. Like, I was not a Julian Edelman fan when he was a Patriot because he used to kill the Bills and used to kill everybody and they won Super Bowls, all that nonsense. But Julian Edelman is really growing on me here. Like that impression, we talked about the Randy Moss impression that he did, which was so fantastic. But the answer that he gave, <laughs> the impression with the story was so Bill Belichick. Like I could hear Bill Belichick saying it as he was doing it. Oh, it was so good. And that's just the audio. If you actually watch the clip, his facial expressions are bang on as well. I didn't do a lot of holding in my football career because quite frankly I didn't do a lot of blocking but <laughs> and if I did it was like cup block but I'm like Jason Kelsey who you heard in that clip I never thought of that as well so no. smart I love the little intricacies that you learn in all of sports whether it be in football whether it be in in baseball basketball hockey whatever the case may be um it's funny how you learn those things like the things that I learned from guys when I was coming up playing junior hockey like those little nitty gritty details of like how to butt end a guy without anybody watching or how to slash a guy on the top of the toes without anybody watching. Those are the things that you learned. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> how to be a pest basically. Yeah. And I was, I was, I could, as you know, I can talk a lot. So I was good at that part. The physicality part, not so great. But the other thing is too, is like people don't understand what goes on in a pile in an NFL game and in any football game, the pinching, the, the eye gouging, the fingers in mouths, the like all sorts of stuff. Like it's, it's not a pretty sight. So the fact that guys would go to the extent of wearing gloves that were the same color as the, the team that they were playing is probably the least surprising thing, but a very cool little factoid. Nonetheless, it is. Although let's say you got to do it within reason, right? So Patriots are playing the Cowboys. Sure. You can wear blue gloves. Sure. But you know, if the Eagles are playing, the Chiefs again in the Super Bowl. If the Eagles' offensive line comes out with red gloves, you're telling on yourself. Like yeah. <laughs> it has to be within the color scheme that you have, or else you're just highlighting the fact that you're probably going to try to hold. You mentioned the piles, though, and we would call that the chiropractor. Like someone <laughs> in the pile just giving you a little readjustment, just going to work on you a little bit. But honestly, to me, that was a tell that oh, this team doesn't think that they could beat us. Because that's their move. Mm. First quarter already, you're going with, uh, I'm going to try to redo your, your ankle tape job. Well, you're just telling yourself that you don't actually think that you could beat us. There are some players who are just dirty, you know, and there will always oh, yeah. be Bill Romanowski's who try to push that line. But in general, um, it, it was a bit of a tell. I, I like that Jason Kelsey, who is 
an offensive lineman went, whoa, I haven't thought about this. Like That's Jason right. Kelsey's a hall of famer in my opinion. And he's going like, well, hold on a second. This is real. Like people do this. And Travis Kelsey, because Travis Kelsey is probably the, the guy that gets held the most on that, on that chief's team. So he would know a thing or two, but I just thought it was in, really interesting. Like those types of, of conversations are ones that I think the general fan is not aware of, but the fact that Jason Kelsey was even surprised by it was super interesting to me. Well, the other interesting part is Jason Kelsey primarily in his NFL career has played center. He's only worn one glove. He's had his ball handling hand gloveless and he's worn a glove on the other hand. So again, do you, would he go with one glove or would he then risk it and go with two gloves? Oh, my hands are cold today. Yeah. I got to put two gloves on. Sure. But if you're, if you're wearing a glove and you don't normally, and you have a bunch of, you know, bobbled QB center exchanges, that's not helping anybody. Was he a big fan of Michael Jackson? That's what I would like to know. Was he a big fan of Michael Jackson? <laughs> that okay. should have been the follow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, the AFC West is a division that includes uh, Travis Kelsey and, it's one that is very interesting because I think there is one player that I don't want to say that he impacts the whole division, okay. but I think he impacts the first eight games for the team that you expect to win the division. And that is Chris Jones. And he said that he's been willing to sit out for eight weeks. As we saw in the preseason, the chiefs, um, well, they couldn't generate any sort of pass rush when their starters were in there. And Chris Jones is a big part of that. So here's who the Kansas city chiefs play in the first Eight weeks, along with their quarterbacks. The Detroit Lions and Jared Goff, that's the season opener. Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence. Chicago and Justin Fields. New York football Jets and Aaron Rodgers. Minnesota and Kirk Cousins. Denver and Russell Wilson twice. And the LA football chargers. Can we call them the football chargers? I'm going to call them that anyway. Why not? And Justin Herbert. Your record could look a lot different if you can't generate a pass rush in those eight games. Now, I'm not saying they're going to go three and five. But could they go four and four? Because those are some really good quarterbacks in there. So it's funny. I love that you went that way because I looked at that schedule. And if you want to add on, they go to the Broncos. They host the Dolphins after that. So even if there is a bit of an assimilation period, given the fact that Chris Jones would theoretically miss the entire offseason program, something that he's been a part of, and the first two months of the season – I mean, he's not starting and playing 70, 75 snaps. To no, start. no chance. What I see in terms of common denominator, and again, Lions, Jaguars, Bears, Jets, Vikings, Broncos, Chargers, Broncos, Dolphins, run games. I think he's missed in the interior of that defense, a defense that historically hasn't been great against the run. But you know the Lions are going to get off the bus and want to run it. Etienne can run it. Obviously, the Bears QB Loves to run it. The Jets have two good runners. We'll see if the Vikings' run game is as good without Cook. But theoretically, Madison is a good runner. The the Broncos' runners will be healthy, we assume, by week six. They're still healthy. Eckler is obviously a problem. Broncos, again, the Dolphins run it really efficiently. I I see the issue in terms of stopping the run. Steve Spagnola, what does he do? He loves to blitz. Mm -hmm. So you can manufacture ways to get pressure in the passing game, bring in more people. I think the real issue for them is going to be defensively getting off the field and stopping the run on early downs without Chris Jones. So what we've both come to the conclusion that if they don't have Chris Jones in the lineup, that's a a really big problem. Um, 
speaking of of a problem, here's here's one because the, the Chiefs story is very well told. I think that they're the new era Patriots. It's the Chiefs' way now with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, all of that. When we look at the L.A. Chargers and Brandon Staley came in to the Chargers with a, a little bit of hoopla and they were, you know, the defense was going to be better under him. The offense, you know, they they brought in Justin Herbert. They drafted him, all of that. Is Brandon Staley on the hot seat right now? Because just when you thought the Chargers weren't going to charge her, they've done it the last two years in the final game of the season for them. Year one, they couldn't beat the Raiders, a team that they should have won with their interim head coach, although I like Rich Bisaccia. And year two, they can't close out a 27 to nothing lead against the Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs in a game where you have a young quarterback on the other side as well and a defense that really didn't do a great job of stopping you. Is there a chance that if the Chargers, with all these guys, they've got, they've they've brought in, um, they they have Joey Bosa, they have Derwin James. The defense, if they can stay healthy, is really really good. They have Khalil Mack. Brandon Staley on the hot seat here. Yes, and he is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. In terms of the biggest question this year for them is the QB play. Everything is about getting and extracting the most value out of Justin Herbert because guess what? You decided, and you really had no choice, soft season, that you were going to give him the most money until Joe Burrow does his deal and brings it up a little bit higher. A guy with all of the physical talent in the world was 41st in intended air yards last year. Average depth of target, 6.6 yards. So you bring in Kellen Moore. We're going to change the offense. We're going to push the football down the field. On our staff, we have seven former college quarterbacks. Everything is about seeing the game through the QB's eyes, giving Justin Herbert all the tools to win. Except, if Herbert has a huge year, but it doesn't equal wins, all that's going to mean is Kellen Moore gets a lot of credit for getting the QB right, but Brandon Staley's still the issue. He is removed, and Kellen Moore, someone who, forget about OC, he was taking head coaching mm-hmm. interviews for the last couple off seasons. He's the ready-made replacement in-house. This team was 1-5 against teams that made the playoffs in the regular season. Then they lost to the only playoff team they saw in Jacksonville in the first round when they had a multi-score lead. They not only have to get back, they have to win a round or two or else people are going to be like, why Why do we need Brandon Staley? The roster is ready. He clearly is not ready. What, I want to know what the what is in the water with the Chargers, too, because I can't even say what's the water like in San Diego because they're not even there anymore. But with that organization, you look at the – Austin Eckler's missed time. Keenan Allen missed time. Mike Williams missed time. Joey Bosa. Derwin James. Justin Herbert. Now, Justin Herbert's because he took an absolute shot. But I feel like they are the one team that if they can stay healthy – which is a really, it's a really tall ask that they could really make a lot of noise. I think they're that good, but I can never trust that they can stay healthy. Like I, I think that they have a shot to win a Super Bowl with the roster that they have. They just added Quentin Johnson to a roster that's already very heavy on talent with Allen and Williams and Eckler and and Josh Palmer. That's a really Gerald Everett. It's a really good offensive team. 
their defense can stay healthy. They can keep Justin Herbert upright. Rashawn Slater got hurt last year too. I don't know. They just feel like a team that has so much talent and it just they can't put it together. Well, they have talent because these are names that we know and these are names that we know because we've watched them play in the league for a while. But history is the best predictor of future outcomes. They weren't able to stay healthy last year. Nope. They weren't able to stay healthy the year before. I, I have no reason to believe that these players who are a year older are going to be any healthier this year. That's why this defense for me has been a massive disappointment because how often have we seen, you know, their talented duo of ends and their talented duo of safeties been on the field together. Yeah, they can't, they can't. JC Jackson was another guy. They signed to the big contract. Yep. He couldn't stay healthy. Uh, there's a theme here. Uh, we got a few minutes left, so we kind of got to roll through these ones. Uh, Broncos under Sean Payton. I mean, it can't go any worse than, than it did with Nathaniel Hackett last year. I expect Russ to be a bit better, but that's going to be a, a, uh, he'll have his hands full. No Jerry Judy for the first little bit. Tim Patrick's out for the year. Um, new offensive scheme. I mean, are the Broncos better than five wins? I would have to think so. I think the upgrade with Sean Payton is real. When we talk about injury, no team lost uh, more adjusted games to injury than the Broncos last year. Sean Payton over the last three years in New Orleans in games without Drew Brees. So since we're talking about his QBs were Taysom Hill, Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, you know, Jameis Winston. He was 17 and four. That's pretty good. He is good enough to manufacture offense on his own. When you talk about head coach's highest points per game, 27.6 in 241 games. That's a full point over Mike Martz. I, I think they're going to be better on offense, assuming they have any receivers. So I, I think they're good enough to get above five wins, but not that much more. Okay. So here's my, you want to hear my hot Jimmy Garoppolo take? Please. Jimmy Garoppolo does not finish the year as the Raiders quarterback. Is that much of a hot take? Because of play or because of health? Both. Okay. Aiden O'Connell ends up finishing the year as the starting quarterback. And then they reassess because I think to get out of Garoppolo's contract is like $11 million dead cap. Something like that. Um, so I, I... Jimmy Garoppolo can't stay healthy. He hasn't been able to stay healthy his entire career. Aiden O'Connell showed really well. In the preseason, again, preseason, there's, you know, he's not playing against the big guns, but I think that he showed a lot um, to the point where I tried to make a practice squad claim on him in my dynasty league last night, which got denied. So it shows that other people know that Aiden O'Connell is, uh, looks like he might be the guy there. They should uh, trade for Trey Lance. Imagine Jeez, Jimmy's just haunted yeah, we'll see. by Trey Lance. We'll see what Jimmy says about Trey Lance after. We'll see if he says he's a good exactly. guy. So I, I, I think that take is bang on. I don't know if it's that hot. It's mild. It's like a medium wing. Uh, I'm okay with medium. I, I'm in my advanced age. I have a hard time with the spiced on it. No, I'm, I'm I a, like it, but I'm a honey garlic guy. I like it sweet. Wow. Only played 10 games twice in his career has Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I think for me, the take on this team is the first coach fired Get your bets ready. It's Josh McDaniels. This wow. guy is just a name brand, but he's not that good. 17 and 28 as a head coach in six seasons without Brady or Belichick. His offenses never finished in the top half of the league in DVOA. So if you're not giving us good offense, you're not finding ways to win. Th th this team was 1-5 with double-digit leads a year ago. That's unheard of. The Horrible. rest of the league was 84-9 when they had a double-digit league. W why do I need Josh McDaniels? What does he bring to the table? We've we've seen him in division with Denver not be a great head coach, and we're seeing it. I think he's the first head coach looking for work. Not Ron Rivera? No, because I actually think the commanders are going to be sneaky good. 
Well, they actually have an offensive mind that might actually work with the guys that they have, which would be nice to see. Uh, okay, so let's wrap up the division with our predictions in order. Uh, are we both going KC number one? Come on. Of course. Okay, we're going KC number one. I have Chargers number two. Yep. This might be chalk. Uh, I have the Broncos at number three. Agreed. And I have the lowly Las Vegas Raiders sans Jimmy Garoppolo by the end of the year as the fourth team. I think that's the first one that we've agreed upon. It is. It does feel like kind of a chalk division because, I mean, talk to me by week eight if Chris Jones still isn't in the lineup in KC, but I have this feeling that he will be there when it matters. I'm not certain that he's there week one, though. I, I agree. I don't think it'll matter in terms of winning this division. I do think it'll matter in terms of seeding, which is real given the playoff format. Last year at this time, people were like, ooh, AFC West up for grabs. Devontae Adams to the Raiders with McDaniels. The Chargers spending lots of money. Russ is in Denver. And now look, a year removed, and we're like, yeah, this division is a one-team division. Yeah, at this year it's chalk. Uh, that's going to do it for us on the Fan Checkdown. Subscribe to the pod. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Donovan Bennett. Thanks to Andrew Adams behind the glass. Matt Marchese will be back tomorrow on the Fan Checkdown. Have a wonderful day, everyone.